Talking Shop with Teresa Bree, the show where we dish out tips and advice for mystical business owners and service providers. You might be asking yourself, well, what is a mystical business owner? Well, if you are a tarot card reader like myself, or maybe you're an astrologer, intuitive counselor, a Reiki healer, you know, oracle, medium, root worker, you know, anything that has a spiritual or mystical bent to it, as part of your profession, we are we're talking about you. And I'm Teresa. Hey, Miss Bree. And I'm here. Bree. Hello. <laughs> I'm here. Hello. Hello. So we have both been self-employed mystics running our own businesses for decades upon decades. Our combined experience is, is awesome and long. And we know what goes into running a successful business. We know exactly how much heart, grit, and hustle it takes to get your business afloat and keep things rocking along. And we've been doing this show once a month together for a, a number of years now because we both love to talk about business and we enjoy sharing business strategies that we've learned over the years. But, you know, we also like learning new things as well so that we can keep our own businesses fresh. And, you know, in that same regard, we like to see our fellow mystical service providers also keep their businesses thriving and successful. And in each episode of Top Talking Shop, we tackle different topics and we love to bring on um, special guests. So let's talk about tonight's topic, Bree. Oh, you guys, I'm super excited about tonight's topic because this is actually a topic we wanted to cover last year. And our guest today is Jessica Reagan Salzman of Heart-Based Bookkeeping. And we had Jessica on the show last year. Now, I am a huge Jessica fan. She is actually my bookkeeper, and I do owe her an Excel sheet right now, um, which I will get to you soon, Jessica. But in our show last year, we wanted to talk about, <laughs> we wanted to talk about taxes, and we, we just did not get to it. But this is a huge topic, so this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Our topic is tax-phobic no more, which is huge. So many people are tax-phobic. I have been there. So thank you all so much for tuning in to listen, and let's get the show started. Absolutely. Hey, Jessica. Welcome, welcome. Hi. Thank you, guys. I'm Yay. so excited to be back on. I, I can't believe it's been a year. It was almost exactly a year ago that we did this. So time flies when you're having fun. It flies when you're having fun or so paying true. taxes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, this is such a hot topic, and it really does deserve a show all on its own. You know, and I think, and I don't know, Bree, we'll, we'll, you just mentioned about you being tax-phobic for a while. Could you just tell us about what you mean, how that felt for you, and then I'll share my experience before we get to some of these questions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, my story is a little unusual in that I um, I went into being self-employed really early on. So I had only had, you know, three years of being employed by a company where my payroll was done and my taxes were taken out for me. You know, I had worked, like, part-time jobs through school, but, you know, I had, I really only had three years of, like, full-time working for somebody else experience before I went out on my own. And so I kind of, you know, the first year 
that I I started my business, I had set myself a, a fairly moderate financial goal, and I exceeded it. And that was the really awesome news, right? It told me that I could do this work that I really loved, that I really felt called to do full time. But then I got my tax bill, and I was mm-hmm. like, holy moly, what is this? And it took me years to understand that this is such a common story for people who are self-employed because in several ways we um you know we we pay not more in taxes but we get we get penalized in certain ways and then we also have you know benefits in other ways that I'm sure Jeff will talk about but I was not ready for the sticker shock and and then it was a long journey of of kind of on the first hand understanding that you know, this is a common story and that a lot of self-employed people experience this at some point. And also then finding the right help for me that involved getting a really amazing bookkeeper <clears throat> who we have on the show, who who actually the first year I worked with Jess, I think I said this last year, the first year I worked with her, um, we actually went back over my taxes, and she saved me a pile of money. We had to refile. So there was, there was, you know, there were two parts. It was getting over the shame of, like, whoa, what is this, and understanding this is a common story, and then finding the people to help me navigate this particular part of business. So that's my, that's my story, and, and now I really, I feel like taxes are, like, my Saturnian discipline, and I really actually enjoy the whole process. Um, mm. But, man, for years it was super stressful. Absolutely, and I can also say, too, early on in my business it was really scary. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought, um, you know, what if, I, what if I get in trouble with the IRS, you know? And even though I filed and everything, I was always terrified and petrified and worried about getting audited. And, and then my husband was always like, well, don't earn too much money because we'll go up into another tax bracket. You know, because he didn't want to pay more taxes. Um, you know, so there was also that anxiety on it too. So, you know, we had to undo not just, um, we had to undo a lot of our thinking around taxes, uh, as well as, you know, really figuring out how to take care of all this stuff. You know, so, uh, I think most people, again, no matter what industry they're in, I think we're all scared of taxes. You know, it's, it's a lot of like, talk about auditing and, you know, people getting in trouble with the IRS and yada, yada, yada. And when you're self-employed, I think a lot of us don't know where to start, how much to put in, you know, and we might even be afraid that we might be paying more than our fair share or or maybe not enough. And I think, you know, we also hear in the media again and again all this kind of stuff too. So, you know, when I even talk to my peers or when I work on my mentoring with other uh, service providers, they also tend to really express the fear here. So that's why we want to focus this podcast on taxes. So Jessica, let's start out by talking about what is the first thing that mystical entrepreneurs need to know about paying taxes? That is such a great question. I mean, at the end of the day, ultimately, there is no avoiding it. And so 
I find that embracing it, approaching the topic with an open heart and compassion for yourself and embracing it and looking at it as a way of interacting with your country, you know, if you have local taxes with your state, with your city, and reframing it as a contribution versus looking at it as something, you know, what do they say, the only thing certain in life is death and taxes, you know, looking at it a little bit differently than that, you know, and thinking of it as um, a way of contributing to society, a way of really almost giving back, you know, generating an income for yourself. And, you know, part of what we pay in taxes really is for Social Security, which I think most people hope that Social Security is going to be around for all of us when we're ready to start collecting, and just gen genuinely having um, a compassionate uh, awareness for yourself, and just really embracing taxes as something um, that has to happen, but maybe realizing that there's a silver lining. You know, I always talk about how um, bookkeeping is something that you can do on a regular monthly basis for the sake of running your business, and it can help you with making sure you're ready for taxes. And one of the big things is the preparedness. You know having a preparedness and being um, ready to approach it in a way that it doesn't feel like a scramble. You know, April 1st is not the time to start thinking about taxes. So having an awareness of it and really just approaching it with kind of an open mind, maybe looking at it through a different set of eyes. Yeah, I think that's a really good, a good advice. And, you know, even just mentioning when I, I was saying about my husband being afraid of going up a tax bracket, you know, one of the things that I had to – shift around not just in my own thinking but in his was the idea of this being a contribution which I love that by the way and also I told him you know if I'm paying more taxes it means I'm making more money and I think that's a good yeah. thing and I'd rather yes. make a lot more money and pay those taxes and contribute than you know barely getting by so yes. we had to do a lot of changing around our mindset on that and the nice thing about our country is that it is a progressive tax situation where you aren't paying that higher tax bracket on all of your income. You're only paying that higher tax bracket on the part of your income that puts you into that higher tax bracket. So when you really start to look at it, you pay a bigger percentage on that increase. But like you said, you still, the more you make, the more you pay in taxes. So a lot of my clients and I, we have a, a little joke about how we celebrate our bigger tax bills because we all want to be making more money. And obviously there's all structures and different approaches, and we'll probably get into some of that tonight. You never want to pay more than you have to. Of right. course, we want to mitigate and pay you know, our fair share, but no more than we need to. And there are different strategies for that. But definitely, I love that. The more you make, the more you pay in taxes. So let's celebrate when our taxes go up. I love that. You know, one of the things that I, I do when I talk to my accountant at the end of the year when he figures out all the taxes and how much I might owe or not owe. And it just seems lately it's always like I end up owing something, and it's like son of a gun. But I always say to him, well, Sam, it looks like I need to make more money again and get richer so I can pay more taxes. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And it's in a lot of cases, it's better to owe than it is to get a refund. Obviously, when we have a W-2 job and we have taxes being withheld, a lot of people use that as a savings vehicle, and they love to get that refund at the end of the year. But I remember a lot of my uncles used to tell me, I, I don't want to ever get a refund. I always want to owe something because otherwise I made a free loan to the government. You know, So there's yeah. always different ways of mm -hmm. looking at it. <laughs> That's right. I have heard that. I have totally heard that from my businessman father. He's like, I'd always rather owe a little something. Right. 
rather than have given the government an interest-free loan for the course of the year where you're suddenly getting, you know, three, four, five more thousand back, you know. Overpaying is never exactly. fun. Yes. So, you know, since we're on the subject, what sort of things might raise red flags with the IRS? So, you know, pay, I, I have heard that pay, that getting having a, a situation where you owe a little something is actually – in many cases, a better thing, especially for self-employed people such as myself. But what are the things that you should never, ever do when it comes to your taxes and dealing with the IRS? Yeah, so there are some big areas that the IRS is very, very well known for paying attention to more closely with, like, a lot more scrutiny. Um, The irony is right now audits are at an all-time low from what I hear in the industry with a lot of my CPA friends. Um, And even if you call up and talk to the IRS, they'll tell you that their staffing is lower than it's been in years, and they're kind of in a hiring freeze. And so there's not a whole lot of random audits going on. So from the random selection perspective, there's a lot less happening on the audit front. But definitely you want to try to minimize the risk factor around having those red flags where you're actually pulled for an audit because they see something. The computer system says, hey, this doesn't look right, and then someone is reviewing that return and looking closely. And those tend to be things like meals and entertainment expenses. You know, you really don't want to be in a situation where you're reporting a lot of meals and entertainment expense and then having your business take a loss. Um, Cruises are a huge one. If you are going to take a tax write-off through your business for a cruise, you want it to be extremely easy to justify the expense. Maybe you're attending a workshop, like it's being hosted on the cruise, and you're having a workshop every day of that cruise, and you can show them, you know, the payment you made for the workshop, you know, show them the itinerary or the uh, syllabus of what was talked about each day, kind of keep some notes, so that in the unlikely event that you're audited and they try to disallow the cruise, you can say, no, this was genuinely for business, or you were maybe even you were facilitating the process. Maybe you were the one hosting something on a cruise and you were the one teaching. As long as you have good backup documentation, you'll be fine. Um, But meals and entertainment is huge. Professional development in recent years um, has become a more scrutinized category, and I do not in any way want to discourage people from writing off things that are truly valid professional development expenses because you absolutely should include those. But what we've noticed is if someone's business is taking a loss, um, you know, I'm not talking a thousand dollars. I'm talking ten, fifteen, maybe twenty thousand dollar loss. The IRS will start to question if the professional development is truly a continuing education where you are improving upon your pre-existing skills for the business you currently have. Or are you actually preparing to go do something different? Are you having a career change where you're kind of hiding your professional development for your new career in under your current company? So I've seen some of that with um, some clients. I had a client that um, was a grad student, and she had one business while she was in graduate school, and then she did. She genuinely was changing pace, and we decided not to include those because her CPA and I both thought it was a little too risky. She can include those as startup expenses for her new company, but there's a little bit of a difference in how you get to write that off. You have to write it off over a lot longer period of time. Um, And then things like um, 
things that are not easily justified as business expenses. Um, probably not a lot of people listening in on the call today are going to be in that category because it's usually people who are very sharky and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just going to write off everything I possibly can and I'll justify it later if I get caught, you know. So those are things if you think to yourself, yeah, if I was to explain this to my neighbor as a business expense, their eyebrows are going to go up. This is probably not an actual business expense. Um, but meals and entertainment is really, really the big one. Um, and then really it's about looking at the amounts that you're deducting in comparison to the amount you're bringing in and how much you're actually profiting. So I always talk about um, bookkeeping kind of simplified as how much money came in, how much money went out, and what's left over. If you're bringing in, let's say, $50,000 in your sales and services that you're conducting through your business, you probably don't want to have $10,000 in meals expense. But if you're bringing in $200,000, that's certainly going to be a much more expected number. And it's the same thing with losing money. If you're losing money, you want to be a little less aggressive. You know, you want to write off the things that are truly valid business expenses, but maybe not put through all of the meals that you had that you thought, you know, well, I did talk about business, you know, I definitely mentioned something here, but the purpose was really socializing. Um, and then one other really big red flag you may have heard of this. Um, it's called the hobby loss rule, and it has to do with taking a loss in three out of five years. So, for example, um, anybody who has a business that could theoretically be considered to be a hobby, and that would definitely apply to the audience that you guys target and talk to and, you know, educate, because unfortunately, a lot of times people in the IRS would think, oh, yeah, tarot reading, this is something that you might be doing for fun, not for profit, um, painting, creative businesses, etc. You want to be careful not to take a loss in more than three out of five years. Now, businesses always need time to get off the ground, and I have many, many clients that have taken a loss in three out of five years, but we're able to very easily justify them being in business. Um, if you can point to a website, you can say, look, I have this up, you know, it's like your virtual shingle, so to speak, um, pointing to your marketing expense, pointing to your advertising expense, being able to show that you're in a professional association, you know, if you belong to a networking group, et cetera. You can defend it, um, but it's just a lot easier to avoid that. So we definitely try to avoid that hobby loss rule. And let me just ask you this on, on that hobby loss thing. So let's say you're in business four years and you show a loss in four years and the IRS raises a red flag. So what happens then? Do they tell you you've got to shut your, your business down or, you know, how? No, they give you an opportunity to justify why the loss was a true business loss. And part of it is, as you lose money in the business, so let's say, for example, you had $10,000 in sales and you had $12,000 in expenses, so you were negative 2000 If you are in a situation where you're filing a joint return, that $2,000 loss is actually going to reduce the taxes that is being paid by the other member of your family. You know, if you have a significant other, a spouse, a partner that is bringing in money, your business loss is going to offset some of their income. But if you don't have that, you may be carrying that loss over into future years where you do actually have a profit. So there is an advantage to taking the loss if it's really accurate. But what will typically happen is um, the hobby loss 
boss cases that I have been involved in, an auditor is assigned the case. You know, they send you a certified letter. They say, please contact us at this number. You know, we'd like to arrange for a meeting. And typically it's a face-to-face sit-down meeting where they ask you to present them with, you know, the justification for why you lost money. And a lot of times what happens is um, if someone is in a business where they have um, goods that go into delivering their service, so creativity and having like a painter is usually a really good example. If that painter has accidentally taken um, an expense for all of the canvases that they've purchased and all of the paints that they've purchased and all of the brushes, etc., but they still have unused paint and unused canvases, sometimes just the inventory piece being overlooked can be something that right then and there the auditor is able to say, oh, well, but that's interesting. You spent $3,000 on canvases, but how many canvases do you think you had at the end of the year that you still hadn't used? You know, whatever the specifics might be. So sometimes it's an educational component where the auditor is really teaching you how to fix the mistake you made, and other times it's literally just that looking it over and giving it their blessing and saying, oh, yeah, this is true. You're in business. You're trying to make money. And, hey, sometimes the economy doesn't lead in that way, and you didn't make a profit. So really, it's not something to be afraid of, but I would not recommend being super aggressive in your approach to writing things off if that's the case. That's great advice. Mm-hmm. So, Bree, do you have anything to add to that? No, I love it. I'm, I'm like letting it, I'm letting it sink in. But I think it's super, it's super, super helpful to to know. And and are there any other things, Jessica, that as far as to be aware of when it comes to raising red flags? Like you gave us a really hefty list. Anything else that you want to make sure that people know about? Yeah, my intuition just pinged on gift giving. Um, A lot of people misunderstand the IRS rule on gift giving. Basically, I will say it, it, you know, cut to the chase, it's stingy because they only allow you to write off $25 per person per year. And you can sometimes stretch that and you can give like a gift to a company and that would be like another gift. So for example, if somebody was to send a fruit basket here at a heart-based bookkeeping, that would be gift one. And then if they were to send something to me directly, that would be gift two. And I've seen that very easily argued that the gift to the heart-based bookkeeping company wasn't to a specific person. It kind of counts as one person, but it's not the person. But that $25 limit, I've seen a lot of people get in trouble with giving very, very large gifts. You know, they spend $1,000 or they give somebody a day at the spa, you know, and they call it a a gift. You want to be very careful with that. Um, That's one that the IRS loves to look for because, as you can imagine, because the limit is $25, um, they kind of look at the amount and there's an algorithm in the computer that kind of does the math to say, well, how many gifts was this? You know, if you have $525 on there, they're going to do the math and say, okay, so that was however many gifts. And is that reasonable? Is that logical? And they definitely compare a lot of the numbers to the top line. So that's what I do whenever I review my clients' financials. So when you sit down before you actually do your taxes, just look at your numbers. Look at what you're reporting for a sales figure. Look at what you're reporting for a final profit. And then just look at those numbers in between. Do any of them jump out as being exorbitant? Does anything stand out like if you were reviewing this for your friend, would you say, hey, wow, you really spent 30000 on rent for the year? You know, how much is your space cost? Um, you know, anything that might jump out at you is looking a little strange. It's always good just to put on your IRS auditor cap and pretend that you're the one working for the government and see what jumps out at you. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. 
So let's switch gears now and talk about, you know, the nitty-gritty about actually paying these taxes. You know, um, what I'd like you to share with our listeners is how do you determine how much you should be paying and do you recommend paying quarterly even if you're not making a lot? Yes, absolutely. That's a great. Those are great questions. Um, so the first thing I want to speak to is um, I am a very, very firm believer in people um, following their own intuition, checking in with their inner compass, ensuring that they feel safe and feel comfortable and that they feel financially secure as much as they possibly can. And so for some people, it, myself included, I remember there were many, many years where I did not pay estimated taxes and it felt much more safe to me. I felt very grounded in knowing that I had the money in my bank account if I needed it for my family or for myself. I needed that safety net, and at the end of the year, I did owe. And yes, I did owe penalties and interest because I didn't pay in over time for the year. And in, I think the most it was ever I ever had was like four or five hundred dollars. And I remember I looked right at my husband and I said, "That's the best five hundred dollars I've ever spent because I didn't spend a single minute this year panicked or worried about money because I always had money in the bank." So everybody has mm-hmm. to check in with themselves to see, is this something I really want to be paying on a regular basis, which is fantastic if that works for you, but I don't recommend people pay their taxes on a quarterly basis if it's going to leave them contracted and fearful about finances because it's never going to be bringing good things into your experience when you're walking around a, you know, a basket of fear thinking that things aren't going to work out financially. Um, and then to answer the question about how much, One of the most important things about doing bookkeeping on a regular basis, whether that's monthly or quarterly, is understanding truly how much money did I make? Because I have had so many experiences with people where they think they've made more than they have and they fear the tax. And then it turns out at the end of the year they may be owed $1,200, but they spent the whole year thinking they were going to owe thousands upon thousands. So it's very important to have a system that allows you to understand how much money did I make this month or this quarter to be able to assess on that you know quarterly basis, which it's funny, I, we should definitely mention, um, the IRS is kind of funny, they call it quarterly taxes, but you actually pay your first quarterly payment in April, then you pay your next one in June, then you pay your third one in uh, uh, September, and then you pay the last one in January. So you might notice that's not really every three months. Um, So it's super important to be able to understand when those payments are due. And a lot of times what happens is people will go and have their taxes done, whether it's at H&R Block or it's, you know, on TurboTax, maybe it's on the computer. Um, Most of those tax return softwares will punch out a coupon for each quarter, and it will say, you know, these four quarterly payments are, you know, some round number, $2,000. People don't realize that that number is simply the prior year's taxes divided in fourths. And so if you're making less money this year than you did last year, you don't actually owe that payment. You owe less than that payment. And as you may remember, the tax system in this country, you you have a little bit of money that you can make before you owe, and then taxes start to kick in, et cetera. But really the key to understanding how much you owe is to understand how much you made. And once you understand how much you made, then you can factor in all the additional things that happen on the personal side with taxes, 
And this is where I really recommend, as a business owner, investing in a relationship with a tax preparer, ideally with a CPA, um, to understand, because they can help you. They can tell you on a quarterly basis. If you tell them how much your business made, they can literally turn around and say, okay, based off that, based off of how many kids you have, whether you rent or you own, based off of some of your medical stuff, that will really give them a big picture of being able to narrow it down. And you could do it yourself, too. Sometimes you can use the prior year software. You know, like right now, the 2017 tax software is not out because the code hasn't been finalized. And there could be minor fluctuations and changes. But even just using that tax software, if you've used it before, just to key in your numbers from a hypothetical perspective, it'll give you a pretty good idea of where you stand. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, talking about looking at these things on a quarterly or a monthly basis, what is your recommendation of structures that make it easy to stay on top of your taxes and your numbers so that you don't come up short when it comes time to mail them out or it comes time to pay? Like, you know, as you were saying, like you don't want to be doing this on April 1st. Um, Correct. And sort of like creating structures, you know, out of, out of nothing. So, like, what do you like to see people have in place? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most important things as a self-employed business owner is to ensure that you have a tracking system, whether it's pen and paper, which remind me, I think, Teresa, that's how you do it. You have your own Mm -hmm. manual system where you keep track of everything, or it goes all the way to the other end of the spectrum where you're using a, you know, a computerized system, which there are many out there. You know, there's QuickBooks, um, there's Cashew, there's Wave, um, there's GoDaddy Bookkeeping, formerly known as Outright. There's all these different systems. There really are so many systems out there that you can find one for everyone. Um, One of the things that I do in my work is help people to pick a bookkeeping system, and sometimes it's based purely on aesthetics. Sometimes it's based purely purely on gut feeling. You know, I tell the person, go to these seven different websites and tell me which one made you feel happy. You know, tell me which one made you get a pit in your stomach. We're going to cross that one off. But having a system, whether it's manual or automated, technical, et cetera, just so you can track Ideally, I recommend, unless you have very low volume, I recommend monthly so that you can stay on top of what's going on in your business and you can feel empowered and informed by those numbers. And once you have that, you know, the taxes really become, I don't want to say an afterthought, but they, they're a compliment. They're, they're a finishing touch because really the ins and outs of the finances of your business are in that bookkeeping system. And getting some training, not expecting that you're going to be able to just open up that software and understand it, just like I would never sit down and try to do a tarot spread for someone because I don't have that education or that background. So it's really important to empower yourself as a business owner with the education, whether you sit down with your CPA if there's someone that likes to teach that or you find a bookkeeper like myself or someone similar who likes to train you on how to do it yourself. And then, of course, um, there's always the option in hiring a bookkeeper to do it for you and having that as a way of really loving your business and supporting your business and stewarding the business in a way that you're giving it everything it needs to be financially viable. And that really is the very first step to getting to the place where doing the taxes becomes so much easier. Right on. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I um, I completely agree. One of the things that I do is I keep really good track too, and you know, my accountant at the end of the year figures out 
my quarterlies. And my way of making sure that the money is always there for that is I take that amount and I divide it by 12 for 12 weeks. And then that will give me, you know, let's pretend that um, – that it let's pretend let's think big let's pretend i have to pay 12,000 each quarter i'm aiming for that one day <laughs> but then if i divided that into 12 weeks that would mean i need to put $1,000 a week away and if i do that and i just put it away and i don't think about it i never run short so that's what i do every year and then i adjust it every year so if the next year let's say i owe 24,000 a quarter then i know i have to come up with 2,000 a week now, those are giant numbers. Right, and if you notice, if you notice in a particular quarter that things dipped and you didn't make the numbers that you expected, or you weren't as on target as you wanted to be, you know that you're actually in a position where you can reduce that payment as well. That yeah. way, you don't try to pull out more cash than is even available. Right, like if there's a dip and you're trying to pay a payment based off of a totally higher number, that's when you really start to feel cash-strapped even more. So right. definitely, I love that. I love that. I do the exact same thing. If it's if it's lower, then I know I can put a little less away. you know. And, and at the end of the year when I add my stuff up before I give it to Sam, I can pretty much guesstimate just by looking at it too if I'm going to owe anything additional. I'm usually pretty close to the penny on that. Yep. And one thing I want to mention, you actually made a comment that triggered, um, I just want to say that I would never allow you to ever pay that much in taxes because as soon as you get to a certain point, the rough threshold that I use is 50000 in profit. I would even say um, for our mystical business owners that that number could probably even be brought down lower, even maybe 40000 30000 in profits, because there's a structure that you can use. Um, it's called an S-corporation, which many yep. people have probably heard of. And when you set up an S-corporation, you can legally avoid self-employment tax which is 15.7% taxes, where you as the self-employed individual are paying not only the employee portion that you would pay if you worked for somebody else, but also paying the employer portion that that other person would pay if you were working for them. You can avoid that self-employment tax on the part of your income that is really truly the distribution of profit from your company versus the wage that you're earning. And we all know that as far as the IRS is concerned, mystical businesses are not incredibly profitable. So if you're paying yourself even 12000 or $14,000 a year, you can really structure things in a way that your tax burden is going to come down significantly. So there is definitely a truth to the statement, the more you make, the more you pay in taxes. But there comes a point in time where when you start to make a certain amount, you can really structure things so that you're not paying as much as you were so let me ask you this then if you're let's say you've been you know a sole proprietor or LLC for a long time and you start making that kind of money how hard is it to change into an S Corp I mean would you have your accountant do that for you would we have someone like did you mention LLC did you say sole proprietor as an LLC no I said sole proprietor or an LLC Yep, so the answer is different for the two. So if you are an LLC, you can be taxed as an S-Corp by filing a simple form. It's time-sensitive. It has to be filed in the beginning part of the year, so it's already come and gone for this year. But you as an LLC can elect to be taxed as an S-Corp. Um, we won't bore people to death with the whole explanation for why, but basically an LLC in the eyes of the IRS is considered to be what's called a disregarded entity, which means they don't care. It's not really existent. It doesn't, it's not even there. They 
either view you as a sole proprietor or as a partnership, depending on if you're a single-member LLC, you'd be seen as a sole prop, or if you're a multi-member LLC, you'd be seen as a partnership for the purposes of taxation, not for the purposes of liability, which is why we have limited liability company as that whole entity. But as a sole proprietor, one of the things you want to be careful with is if you're the only person in your business generating the income, in most cases it's going to be better to stay a sole proprietor and let that maximum um, – there's a threshold. So FICA and Medicare, which is that self-employment tax, the FICA part, the Social Security part, which is the lion's share, it's like 13% of the 15 and change percent, that taps out, and the number goes up every year. I think it's 120-something thousand this year. Because if you're the only one generating the income, it's difficult to set the S-Corp up because you don't really have a way to say, hey, this guy worked for me and he made me money and this girl worked mm -hmm. for me and she made me money. But definitely have a conversation with someone that you trust whose advice you can you know, rely upon and to explore if an S-Corporation makes sense. And I offer those consultations to people you know, free of charge as an initial chat on a very frequent basis because it can be very confusing out there, you know, whether you Google or you look up books in the library, right. et cetera, it's sometimes just helpful just to get on the phone with someone. And I basically just ask, okay, how much profit last year? How about the year before? Who works for you? How do you make money? What do you do? And then we talk about some of the other things that are involved. You have to have decent cash flow because you've got to pay yourself a part of your earnings through payroll. But when it's right, it can really make a huge difference. Um, I overpaid taxes for about two years because I was afraid to become an S-Corp, and I finally did it January 1st of 2016, and I've never looked back, and I'm so glad that I finally did that. Um, but it's definitely one area where I would not want to see you paying, you know, what did you say, 12000 a quarter or something in taxes. My fake, um, my fake amount. Sure. I'm not paying that. <laughs> Right, but I'm saying you said one day, so I'm just saying for the future day when you get to that place, before you get there, call me and we'll make sure you have the right tax structure. Um, but definitely, it's absolutely wise to be paying attention on a quarterly basis so you aren't surprised at year-end. You know, right. And that doesn't mean, knowing that you're going to owe doesn't mean you're going to always pay it like right then and there, like I alluded to before. You might say, you know what, I need to go on a payment plan. I need to pay this over time. I got myself into a hole. I need to just start structure this so that I'm not trying to come up with $5,000 by the end of this month or whatever, um, but definitely having the awareness, even if you make a different decision, right? It's not about saying, oh, I owe X and therefore I have to do Y. No, it's I owe X and therefore I now can check in with myself to see what step I want to take next. Right. So you mentioned a couple things uh -huh. about write-offs. You know, we talked about, you mentioned about gifts and stuff like that. And I think this is a question that a lot of people probably would ask you if they could talk your ear off. What about what can and can't be written off? Yes. So anything can I write that can off be my justified crystals? for business. Yes. And I do. And I know, like, Teresa and um, excuse me, Brianna and I have, Brianna and I have had conversations about this because she and I both make, you know, we buy things that we use for offerings and our, you know, work with our clients and our own spiritual practices. Um, I am pretty aggressive, especially when it comes to the mystical businesses, at writing off pretty much everything that I can justify as being business-oriented. Um, some people are less aggressive. It just depends on that specific person. And I always look at the big picture. You know, like I said, I'm not going to have someone um, have a supplies account where they're writing off $7,000 worth of, you know, crystals and, and uh, olive oil and, you know, cornmeal and whatever else they might be using in their practices, unless there's profit to be offset. But 
definitely, um, there's a book, uh, I believe, I know the author's name is June Walker, uh, J-U-N-E, just like the month, Walker, W-A-L-K-E-R. I believe, I'm going to check right now, I think her website is junewalkeronline.com. Um, but she has an incredible book, and the name has actually changed a couple times. So I'm going to look it up for you guys. I'm looking it up um, right now while you're talking. The Competent Indie, A Simple yes. Guide to Deductions, Income, and Taxes for the Creatively Self-Employed by June Walker. Yes, Does that's it. Get it, it on and, her site or on Amazon. Yep, and it's a wonderful, wonderful resource because it goes into even like the detail level of when can hair and makeup expenses be written off? You know, when can a gym membership be a deduction, et cetera? So really, obviously, I think a lot of us think of deductions like the rent we pay for our office, um, our cell phone, if you're buying pens and paper and printer cartridges and, you know, ink things like that. Any of the stuff that you think of in the regular run-of-the-mill business, but then really for the mystical business owner, it's if you can point to that and say, I used this in my business to do ABC, then you have a business write-off. Because there are so many business owners, um, like for example, if you have a situation where you're serving food to your clients, you're serving food in the course of delivering an actual business service, that is a complete write-off. That's 100% deductible. That's not a meal and entertainment expense. That's an actual cost of delivering. You know, like if you run retreats and you rent a space where you're going to do that. There's so many things that you can write off. I tell people, because what I see is people err on the wrong side of caution. They err on the side of not including it. And then I say to them, wow, you have pretty big profit. I don't see anything in here for a cell phone. Oh, my husband pays for that on his plan. Okay, how much is your part of that plan? And then we add that in. Mileage is huge. If you're driving to go to the store to buy stuff that you're using in the course of your business, the drive to and from the store is a business travel. You know, you've, you've traveled for business. Um, there are some limitations around mileage, um, so just be careful because commuting is not considered to be a business expense. Um, so if you have an office outside of your house and you don't use your house as a home office and you drive from your home to your office, that would not be considered deductible. Um, I can easily follow up questions about any of that. People feel free to email me and get in touch with me after the call. Um, but definitely looking at June Walker's book, I love the way she writes. It's fun to read. Um, I've recommended that book for the last decade, and people love it. So it's very, very helpful to see where you might be missing some deductions. Awesome. Yes, I love that. I remember having conversations with you, Jess, exactly about that. You were like, you need to write off more. So I, I get that. I totally do. Definitely. So let's talk about the current tax rate for self-employed folks who make up the majority of our lovely audience. And then at what point does that tax rate bump up? What are the points we need to be aware of? Yeah. So hold on one second. I just was looking at this yesterday. The biggest thing to remember is that there are always – um, standard deductions and exemptions and things like that. So the one that I've been looking at the most, if you if you Google tax brackets 2017, it's a few down. You'll see bankrate.com. They have a pretty good overview of the tax brackets. And you can see that the 2017 tax brackets 
Um, if you're, you know, there's all these different variations, whether you're single or head of household, married filing joint, married filing separate. But if you go on there and take a look, you'll see that the 10% tax rate applies up to the first 9330, uh, excuse me, 9325 that you earn. And then you'll see it goes up 15%, 25%, etc. And just remember, this is a progressive tax system. So Every single person that makes money in the United States pays 10% on the first 9325. So the 15% applies. You'll even see here the way it's written out. Only on the money that goes from 9326 to 37950. So that tax stepping up is always going to be based on just the portion that's in that next bracket. Um, so for example, if you make up to 37950, your tax rate is about 15% before adding self-employment tax. So that's the key. Whenever you look at these tables, and I typically tell people a rough number, a very, very rough number is 40%. But remember, it's 40% of your net. So if you go out and let's just say you have a fantastic month and you've got 10000 in sales, you don't owe 4000 in taxes. You owe 40% of whatever the bottom is. So that 10000 you might have had to you know, rent a room for $1,000. You might have had advertising. You might have had supplies. You might have had printing and reproduction expenses. You've got all your normal overhead like your cell phone and your Internet connection, et cetera. So whatever your net number is, I tend to you know, find that 40% is very helpful, but that's going to vary too because some people might have uh, a lot of mortgage interest and they might have a lot of medical expenses and their taxes when they finish getting all that pulled together might be less, but we find that most people can roughly use that 40% of net profit as a good rule of thumb. That's great advice and right on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're getting near the top of the hour, and I think Bree and I have two two questions coming up that we think a lot of people uh, get nervous when they think about these situations. So let me tell you mine. So let me give you a situation. Let's say you didn't file for years. Very common. Yes, very, I know. And, very and this common. Is, this is something I hear with some of my, you know, some of the people that I've also mentored have said, I haven't filed for a few years or I haven't filed yet and I've been in business a few years. What do these people know about how to get this fixed? Right. So the most important thing, if I can deliver one message tonight, I think the absolute most important thing for any business owner to know is that you have to file an extension. If you are not going to file on time, and if it's already happened and you didn't file an extension, it's water under the bridge. I am not a fan of freaking out over things we can't change, so I'm not at all inviting people to freak out. But if you are in a situation where you have not filed going forward, please, please, please make sure you file an extension. And if you're brand new in business and you don't have your numbers pulled together, make sure you file an extension. There is a gigantic difference between failing to file and filing late. So making sure you have that extension keeps you out of that category of failure to file. The penalties are very different and can get very costly. Um, but getting caught up, nine times out of ten, I find that people who are in that situation need to enlist the support of a professional. It didn't get that way overnight. It's not going to get caught up overnight, and it's probably not going to get caught up by you just because it hasn't gotten done along the way, and you're probably very focused on doing what you do, and that's great. That's what you should be focused on. But having a 
trusted companion in the process, whether it's your spouse or a friend or, you know, a fellow business owner who's maybe someone you've been a confidant and you've been able to trust them and they've mentored you, et cetera. Getting caught up, it can be done. And it's one of those things where you will start to feel better even just starting the process. I hear that so often that just once the ball is rolling, I get emails from clients saying, I hired you last week and I just literally signed a $10,000 contract I never even saw on the horizon and now I'm going to have the money to pay the taxes that I'm probably going to owe because the energy changes. As soon as you start that process moving forward, you're going to feel so much better. But definitely finding someone who is accustomed to that. You know, that's what we specialize in, heart-based bookkeeping. Uh, nine out of ten clients come to me with some sort of backlog. Um, my record was 12 years. That is now dwarfed by the 17-year project that is sitting right next to my desk. Those tend to come in boxes. Um, a lot of people, when I work with them, it's all electronic. They're dropping stuff in Dropbox. They're, you know, letting me log into their bank and get stuff. But big projects, grab a box, you know, go through your office or your den or your, you know, nightstand, wherever you've got this stuff squirreled away, um, starting with bank statements and credit card statements. Do not worry about the receipts unless you had a lot of cash activity. Um, if you had minimal cash activity, just don't worry about the receipts. The IRS starts with bank statements and credit card statements if they ever have to audit you. So you can recreate records. They're probably not going to be perfect. Um, I'm very known for saying good enough for government work, which basically means it's close enough, you know, better done and, and finished than not done at all. Um, so definitely just getting support. And, and really, I think the absolute most important thing is do not shame yourself over this. Do not talk negatively to yourself. Do not say, oh, I'm the only one who's ever done this. It is so, so not true. Um, I've been in business. This is my 12th year. Every single year, I have very, very well-known clients whose names I would obviously not reveal for privacy and confidentiality reasons, but people that have come to me that are multiple years behind that people would never, ever in their life imagine that, oh, she was behind. They just, they just don't think that way. They think, oh, she's got it great. You know, she's out there in the bright lights and making millions. It's actually incredibly common. Um, and right now, especially the IRS is very, very willing to work with people. Um, I myself have a payment plan with the IRS for many years ago where I had an unexpectedly great year and had a lot of medical expenses. Um, the IRS right now, because they are owed by so many of our citizens, um, are really working with people. And they're doing things a little differently. Um, recently when I talked to them on behalf of a client, they said, hey, you know what, if you pay this by, I think it was 120 days, yeah, that'd be four months, right? Yep. If you pay this, um, by this date that's 120 days away, I can give you the number right now that lock it in, no more penalties will accrue, no more interest will accrue, this is the amount. That's a very uncommon thing. I hadn't seen that until recently. Um, but there's always a way to work through it. It's just taking that first step and loving yourself through the process. Great advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And huge, huge for people to know that they're not – alone in this. Like, I think that the not shaming yourself is super, super critical. So along the same lines, my scary question that I think a lot of people really, you know, freak out about is what advice do you give somebody who does get audited or learns that they owe a lot in back taxes? Because, you know, sometimes, as I'm sure you have experienced, People come in and they don't know that that there are back taxes to contend with. 
Yep. So what was the question? I, I heard heard you, but I didn't hear the question. Oh, so sorry. So what advice do you give somebody who gets audited? And what is the advice you give somebody who learns that they owe a lot in back taxes? Yeah, so the auditing, I absolutely recommend. The first thing is you just stay calm. Remind yourself that the IRS is staffed by human beings just like the rest of us. I can't even tell you how many people I have connected with at the IRS that have been absolute mensch. Like they're just, they're like these wonderful people that they're actually some of the most kind like collections and I have, you know, my fingers in the air around collections. But like as far as collections agents go and stuff, IRS agents are usually very, very kind. You know, obviously, if you jump on the phone with them and you're in a nasty, bad mood and you're spewing stuff at them, it's not going to go well. But definitely, you know, breathing through it and and staying grounded. Um, Most audits go well. Um, Most audits are usually correspondence audits, which means you get a letter in the mail that says, hey, we noticed on your 2016 taxes that you didn't include a 1098 interest form for, you know, $47 in interest. We've adjusted your tax. You now owe us 64 cents, you know, whatever the specifics might be. But audits happen, and they aren't the end of the world. Um, I have not yet had anybody go out of business because of an audit, and I did have one client who had substantial um, issues where she avoided the IRS auditor. So don't avoid the auditor. If you have a meeting with them, keep the you know, keep the appointment. If you are supposed to be on the phone with them, answer your phone. You know, make sure you engage with them and give them as much respect as you possibly can because they do have a lot of power in their hands. And she learned the hard way, forty thousand dollars later, that she really should have been better to them. But really, at the end of the day, I still have not yet seen anyone go out of business because of an audit. Um, it's always manageable. 99% of the time, the people that are audited are not intentionally doing anything to defraud the government. So you're not going to be in a situation where you're going to be you know, saddled with fraud charges or anything like that. Um, the big thing is make sure if you are in a situation where you are collecting sales tax or you are paying payroll taxes on behalf of your employees, those are two things you never want to fall behind on. It would be better to miss a mortgage payment on your property than it would be to not pay sales tax or payroll tax. So those types of things are hugely important. They'll help you, you know, be in the good graces of the auditor because if you owe those, then you can kind of get yourself in a little bit more trouble. Um, And then advice for someone who finds out that they owe back taxes. Most of the time, and not this is not true for everyone because some people have better credit and better borrowing ability, et cetera. But in most cases, the penalties and interest that you pay on back taxes will be similar to a credit card. So it's not really any different than having paid those taxes on a credit card and still be paying that down. Um, and a lot of people breathe a sigh of relief when they hear that. That One caveat is if you've got failure to file penalties, it can be a little more dicey financially, but there is a thing called an offer and compromise, and the IRS is definitely much more willing to work with folks on those offers and compromise now than they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, ever since 2008, because of the whole economy shift, um, they've been much more um, interested in working things out with people. So if you are in a situation where you owe substantial back taxes, please ensure that, one, you aren't trusting the IRS's assessment of what you owe, because what will happen is if you don't file taxes, like let's say, for example, you start up your business, you're a Schedule C sole proprietor, you file for two years, and then you stop. The IRS will 
file a return on your behalf using those years that you had been filing as your base years, assuming that you made similar numbers. So you could be getting a thing in the mail saying, you know, we demand that you pay X thousand of dollars. It turns out it's not based off reality. It's, and that's those commercials you see. If you guys ever see those commercials on late night TV where they're like, oh, is the IRS hounding you for $10,000 yeah. or more? And they say, we can save you nine times out of ten. It's because the numbers the IRS are using are just made-up numbers based off of what they've seen. And you really can find that the bookkeeping part of it will save you from overpaying. Um, but definitely know that you can always, in 99% of cases, work it out with the IRS that you can pay it over time. That's awesome advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Super, super huge. So, Jessica, thank you so much for this. This has been so helpful. And we are actually now wrapping up our episode of Talking Shop. I can't believe it. I feel like it went so fast. So, Teresa, what was your biggest takeaway from this episode? Well, the one thing that I really love that, Jessica, Jessica, you do this so well, you know, this whole calmness, this idea of being calm and cool and no matter what's happening, whether you're paying your taxes, whether you're in trouble with the tax person, whether you're just starting out and don't know what to do, I really love that advice because I think being centered around money is a really good thing. And I think so many of the people in our industry or similar industries, you know, we just get so worked up over this. And I love, love, love the idea of just approaching it with the attitude that you have, and I think that's so brilliant, really. Oh, well, thank you. It comes from my own personal journeys and my own experiences with how things go when you freak out and how things go when you stay grounded, and it's just remarkable how those two things can make a huge difference, right? You know, it can really work out. Even if the it, even if the technical facts are exactly the same, just the emotional, vibrational experience of being like, okay, it was like this yesterday, it would been like you know it might have been like this for a year, it might have been like this for a few months, whatever it is. Allowing yourself to just stay grounded and settled in that emotion of it's going to work out is totally the way I like to approach it. I love it. What about you, Bree? So why don't you share your biggest takeaway that that or piece favorite piece of advice that you've uh, gleaned from everything we've talked about tonight? Well, I mean, I love I love you, Jessica, and I love working with you, and I love having you as my bookkeeper. And one of the things that I really appreciate about you that, you know, I noticed when we first started to work together, and I just appreciate it more over the years, is, you know, the the sense that what is really scary about all of this stuff is the not knowing that surrounds it. You know, it's it's like the it's the confusion and the fog and that the best thing that you can do to help yourself get unscared and meet this with courage is just to start to understand how the process works. You know, like even for people who owe back taxes, like understanding that, you know, a lot of times the numbers are really made up and, and you know, the IRS is surprisingly casual about certain things. I called them the fear to figure out something with my taxes. And they were like, oh, you know, your 2016 return 
got rejected and and I was like well I never got a notice and they were like yeah we've been backed up like they were super casual and just so nice to deal with and it had been rejected over a name I had to include my maiden name but but you know they're they're they are they're people and they're really friendly and like this entire world just starts to become a lot less scary when you just start to educate yourself like anything really Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, the mind will play tricks on us, right? It'll tell us that there's demons in the closet, you know, there's monsters under the bed. But when we cast some light on it and we stay in that position of being connected inside, you know, having that um, divine presence, it's just so helpful. And like I tell people, it's just money. I mean, really, at the end of the day, it's just money. Mm, that's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, Thank you so much. And towards the end of each episode, as you all know, we like to share a few fun tidbits. And we're going to get you to share too, Jessica. So this is things like books that we've been reading lately or blogs that we're obsessed with, favorite songs or TV shows, stuff like that. And just, you know, fun things that we think you, our listeners, would also enjoy discovering. Sometimes it'll be a business-related recommendation, sometimes not. Because, you know, you can't just talk about business stuff 24-7. So I will start with Teresa, and then we'll go to Jessica. So, Teresa, what is something that you've discovered recently or something that you've been loving on lately? Um, I am really happy to share two uh, two metaphysical shops that I think everybody should visit. I recently went on a road trip as part of my tarot coloring book, book tour, and I went to Toronto to do a little book signing up there, and I was in a shop called The Hermit's Lamp, which is run by my friend Andrew McGregor. And first of all, we fell in love with Toronto. What a great city. It's amazing. And, you know, we just had so much fun. I had dinner with uh, uh, Tanya Geisler and Anastasia Valentine, two women that I absolutely adore. And, And then I did the book signing, and Andrew's shop is so wonderful and warm, and it's just a great place. If you're in Toronto, I just say, go there. Get your metaphysical supplies. It's got a lot of wonderful crystals and tarot decks and other cool things. Well, on the way home, because we did a road trip, we also made a stop in Ferndale, Michigan, at Heather Lee Navarre's shop, the Boston Tea Room. And this shop is just so amazing. Uh, first of all, Heather Lee is a hoot, and she's just an incredible businesswoman. <laughs> and it's a shop with all kinds of tarot readers and you know on staff and they've got just also like the Hermes lamp just this amazing crystal selection and candles and you know all the kind of stuff that I love and tons and tons of tea and I'm a big tea drinker so I think that people need to you know if you're in the area or not in the area go to Ferndale Michigan visit the Boston Tea Room, you're going to love it. And get up to Toronto. Go up there and check out the Hermit's Lamp. These are some really great shops that are serving the community, and they're serving it well. And I like a business done well, so those are two things that I really love. What about you, Jessica? What are you loving and obsessed with these days? 
Absolutely. I remember last time, last year I shared food. I'm going to share food again. Uh, so the first thing I have been noshing on and really enjoying is these Bear. The, the brand is Bear, B-A-R-E, and it's literally banana chips. They're just baked. It's All it is is banana chips, but they added a new version where they have cinnamon. So the only ingredients are cinnamon oh, and bananas, oh. <laughs> and they are crunchy. They actually sound like glass inside the package because they're so crunchy. Like they're just the most sweetest, crunchiest, most delicious thing. So bear cinnamon banana chips. I've been noshing on those regularly ever since I spotted the cinnamon brand, you know, the cinnamon flavor. Um, I think they have them on Amazon too, so you probably can get them anywhere. And uh, the other thing that has been so super helpful to me lately is um, DoTerra has a, an essential oil blend that's called In Tune, and it's a focus blend. And I find this to be so helpful when I sit down at my desk and I need to get some numbers stuff done. Um, it's just so so helpful. It's grounding. It clears your mind. It really gets you focused. Um, so I am just loving on that. And that's the doTERRA Intune Focus Blend. I love stuff like that, by the way. I will definitely yep. check that out. Mm. What about you, Bree? I what like is your it. latest obsession, lady? You know, I am so excited because I get to be the pop culture person this time around, although probably oh my God. several years outdated. But but that's okay. I just want you to, like, take a breath and be so pumped about this, Teresa. I'm patting so, myself. We have, <laughs> we, have mar- we have been, my husband and I, have been marathoning House of Lies. And it is, it's so interesting because it's about a team of consultants and they're led by Don Cheadle, who I adore. I adore Don Cheadle. I love everything he does. I'm just, I'm such a fan girl. And, uh, and it's just hilarious. And it's, and it's, you know, a very clever and subtle critique on like the worst parts of capitalism, while also really celebrating business in different ways. So, and, and of course, there's great like interpersonal relationship drama too. So that has been, that's kind of been like my summer chill thing and we just finished the the last there's five seasons we just finished the last season um two nights ago and we were like there's no more so i recommend it house of lies you can get it on amazon it is hilarious and fun awesome so last but not least as always Teresa, is there anything you want our listeners to know about that's happening in your business world any upcoming classes or new projects, things like that. Yes, I am doing a class with Shaheen Miro called Tarot for Troubled Times. The class is actually beginning in August, and we're going to be using tarot and other modalities as a way of really helping people to find peace and figure out ways to show up, no matter what's happening in the world, you know. Um, So it's a class that we've been working on. It's a subject near and dear to our hearts. And if they sign up before June 30th, which is only two days away, they're going to get a little bonus session with me and Shaheen. But even after that, they're going to have a really wonderful class um, happening in August. So, again, it's called Tarot for Troubled Times. If you go onto my website and click on Shop, uh, the class, you can sign up right from there. So that's my latest thing. What about you guys? Anything big going on with you, Jessica, or you, Bree? 
Yep, Jess here. We are just cranking away on getting people caught up, and you know, a lot of clients have come to us with needing to file an extension, which September and October are going to sneak up on us, and um, it's just one of the things I love most is helping people to come into the present moment with their mm-hmm. bookkeeping. Uh, so n- summer is definitely the time to start approaching that if you're going to file an extension in the fall. It's never too early to get started. Um, so we've been working like crazy over here, getting people caught up, and it's going real great, and um, just so blessed to have continually been growing my business over the past 12 years and my husband is my right hand man and uh, it's just so fantastic to be able to support gifted, talented, passionate, you know spiritual entrepreneurs so that they can bring their gifts to the marketplace and really as I always say I do what I do so that my clients can do what they do and I just am so honored to be supporting so many business owners and continuing their business journey and we really appreciate that you're out there doing that Oh, thank you. And thank you for you know inviting me to come on again. I love you guys. I always love chatting, and it's just great to be together. And I'm so glad that you guys are doing what you're doing for the mystical business owner community. You know, there's certainly uh, a lot of people out there that compete. You know, it's cutthroat, and that is absolutely the opposite of the way we approach this. So I'm just so glad that we can all extend, you know, support and lend a helping hand and, and guide people because it is confusing to be out there alone on your own. And I hear from so many people, oh, well, I never went into business because I was too afraid. And so Mm -hmm. if we can change that culture and get more people stepping into the self-employed marketplace and bringing what they have to offer to the marketplace, it just makes my heart soar. That is the goal that Bree and I have, and uh, we have been really working on that angle for a while. And Bree, what about you? What announcements? (gasps) What announcements? Um, So I have the Mercury Retrograde Survival Kit is now open and available, and it is open and available until July 12th um, because I now do a little astro analysis of your personal chart, and Mercury is going to be retrograde in Virgo starting August 12th. And so I'm getting my people all lined up for that early, right? I'm letting Virgo inspire me. So there's that if you want to get some astro insight into dealing with Mercury and retrograde. And then the other big thing that's happening is Spinning Gold, my year-long course on sacred arts and fairy tales, myth and folklore, is going to open up for registration on August 7th. So those are the big things that I'm focused on right now. That's awesome. So before we sign off, a happy reminder. If you love Talking Shop, don't forget that you can listen to all of the previous shows for free by going onto iTunes. You can go onto iTunes. You want to plug in um, Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree, and you'll find us there. Or you can also go to thetarolady.com. There's a tab called Free Resources. And if you hop on down to Podcasts, you'll find Talking Shop there. Uh, and by the way, if you like this show, please give it a sweet little review on iTunes because that's going to help more mystical entrepreneurs find their way to this podcast and hopefully we can help them. Um, so anyhow, that's a wrap for this episode. And Bree, next month, you want to clue everybody in? Yes, please join us again next month. We're going to shift gears again and talk with Jenna Matlin about how to work at festivals, psychic fairs, and how to deal with the public, generally speaking. It's going to be a very awesome show because so many 
of our audience members want to work in various public venues and, and have a little bit of fear around it and, and also some great questions. So that show will be live on Wednesday, August 26th at 8 p.m. Central Time. And, by the way, Teresa and I decided in our last mastermind that next month's podcast will be our last live podcast. We're moving to a new pre-recorded format. This way, you don't have to wait for the show to air live. You can tune in at any time. Right on. And real quick, Jessica, where can people find you again? Yep, they can find me at heartbased.com. I'm on Facebook, Jessica Reagan Salzman, R-E-A-G-A-N-S-A-L-Z-M-A-N. And you can also go to um, Heart Based Bookkeeping. There's a Facebook page out there as well. And feel free to email me, jess at jessrs.com. And phone calls are always welcome, 508-455-2507. You'll get to hear my husband do his amazing phone voice. It confuses the heck out of people. People will call here for you know for a scheduled call with me, and I'll still be on a call, so he answers. And people will hang up, and then they'll call back, and he'll do it again, and they'll say, I- "Is this Jess's office?" And he's like, "Yep." Because he says, "You know, thanks for calling Heart Based Bookkeeping. This is Michael speaking." How can? But people literally the panic and hang up. So depending, sometimes if I can answer it, I say, "Let me get it," and he always frowns because he loves to answer the phone. <laughs> Well, I think that you are wonderful, and people do call there, and if he answers the phone, just know it's all good. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate this opportunity to reach a wider audience and, and be able to collaborate with you guys, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your evening. Thank you, and thank you for sharing your knowledge and people. Again, you can find Jessica. And you can find me on the web, too, um, at thetarolady.com. Bree, where can they find you? Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Jessica. We love having you. You guys can find me at briannasafi.com. Thanks again for listening, everyone, for tuning in. We wish you all a wonderful evening and ask that you keep taking the action to build the mystical business of your dreams. Good night. Good night. Good night, everyone.